Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is David Zargami with Keller Williams in Sarasota, Florida. Last year, he, his wife Tony, and team closed 108 transactions with a total sales volume of $35 million with six people. His average sales price was $324,000, of which 50% were buyers and 50% were sellers. In his best year, 2016, he sold 116 homes worth $40 million. David is ramping up for growth and now has a 19-member team, six buyer specialists, three junior partners, one listing specialist, director of sales, three full-time operations staff, two virtual assistants, one courier, one sign guy, one chief growth officer, and one chief executive officer. David is the co-founder and CEO of the Zargami Group. He's been an agent for eight years and works the metro Sarasota market. In this call, David talks about teaching fourth grade math before entering real estate, flipping houses for his own account, then later on a bigger scale for a company, entering sales and starting a practice separate from his wife, successfully running two practices that combined sold 92 homes in one year, relocating to a different state and starting fresh as a unified husband and wife team, working with your spouse by defining roles and staying in your lane, setting a big goal to multiply the business fivefold in two years, accepting the role of CEO and setting the vision for the future. Structuring the team for fast growth and scale. Creating a career path for agent partners and being flexible to change. Team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, David. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be with you. Hey, David. It's great to have you here. David, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Yeah, I'd love to, Mike. So uh, I have a degree in economics and a degree in education, and my career prior to real estate had been spent basically split between the business world and, and, and the education realm. Um, did several different things. And my most notable part of my pre-real estate career was in education. I, I taught, I actually actually met my wife working for a tutoring company and then uh, got my master's in education and went back and worked in what I call the front lines. And I taught middle school math for several years. Uh, during that time, I also read the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that got me really piqued on the idea of taking control of my financial future in a way that certainly teaching didn't afford a lot of options. And I uh, got involved in the idea of real estate investing and started learning about that track and uh, ended up leaving teaching to go into a, a full-time investment acquisition role for a, uh, a large you know, rehabbing, remodeling company. During that time, my wife got her broker's license and started selling real estate. And we had kind of a nice one-two punch thing going on where I'd acquire um, we have tight properties for this company and manage the renovation. And then my wife, Tony, would end up listing and selling those. And after a while, it just became clear that her brokerage sales career was going, you know, she was on a rocket ship and, and just really taking off. And then these individual wholesale or, or, or rehab type property deals were just a lot harder to come by. And so we decided, you know, rather than swimming against the current, let's jump in that same boat together. And so I, a couple of years after her, got my real estate license and jumped in and we've never looked back. How long did you do the rehabbing and how many homes did you flip or, or fix up? Well, so while I was teaching, uh, I joined a real estate investment kind of mastermind group and had a, a, a great mentor take me under his wing and showed me some of the ropes and 
of course, read The Millionaire Real Estate Investor and followed a lot of that model. And so we ended up, the way it worked out, every, every summer for two or three years, did a personal rehab where we, you know, we personally purchased the property and managed to rehab on my summer vacations. And that's what really got me thinking, like, gosh, I really like this. And if I could be coordinating four or five of these at a time, that would be pretty amazing, maybe. And so then I found an opportunity where I could basically do that, not with my own money this time, as, as a functionary, as an employee, you know, with a commission kind of role for another company. And so did that for about a year and a half and probably managed, say, 20 rehabs during that time. Um, so got a lot of extensive knowledge in that, which translates very well. And that's where, after doing that for a while, I think there was one point where we had made, you know, maybe 60 offers, right? That's the challenge with that business is you have to turn over a lot of rocks, you have to kiss a lot of frogs, whatever analogy you want to use. And um, again, felt like I was swimming upstream a little bit and saw the success that Tony was having just purely on the sales side and um, decided to join forces. So your your wife, Tony, she got into real estate uh, on the sales side prior to you, and then you decided to join her. Let's talk about that for a minute. So if somebody's listening and their spouse is already in real estate and they're thinking about getting in, their their spouse has asked them to get in, for instance, or or they want to get in and help them out, there's got to be a little bit of trepidation about working with your spouse. Did you have that? And how did you get through that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and, you know, being now in it for almost 10 years together, you know, our, our, our thought process around it has changed and evolved a lot. And I, I definitely do counsel other couples in, in the business or considering getting into the business about things to watch out for and things to keep in mind and consider. You know, for us, it was a pretty organic process, even though I wasn't you know, quote unquote, in the business with her, I was very much involved. It was a, you know, it was a big venture for us to have her jump out from a salaried role and, and go, you know, completely into commission sales. And so I was definitely involved in, you know, helping study together with her for her pre-licensing and putting together you know, her marketing and um, you know, just facilitating any, any type of support that I could. So I think we always had that going on. Whereas some of the couples I speak with, you know, the, the one partner is very much entrenched in their other business and really has nothing to do with real estate. And I think that's the one you have to be, you know, they have to have a lot more carefully planned conversations about who's going to do what. Um, whereas for us, it was sort of already a partnership. We just sort of made it official. And then the other big piece of advice there is to really spend some time thinking about who you are and how you're wired and what you naturally tend to do in terms of behavioral patterns. And there's a lot of great objective assessment tools out there, the DISC profile being one that is readily available to everybody, that you know, Tony and I looked at those. We said, okay, we both can do a lot of things. We both consider ourselves you know, relatively smart and talented, and yet there's probably certain things that one of us tend to do a little bit better and more naturally and more comfortably than, than the other and vice versa. So that was a big key to our success was defining our roles and staying in our lanes. Um, and if you don't have that sort of plan put into place, it can, it can definitely cause some trouble. Let's talk about that DISC uh, profile for a minute. Have you taken the DISC? Where do you score out? Yeah, I'm an interesting character in, in real estate. You know, you're, um, you know I've, I've sold a lot of real estate myself in production. I've been very successful with it. I'm less of a D, a driver type role than most of your you know, rainmaker type salespeople. I am a high I. Tony's also a high I. So we both have a great uh, love for interacting and, and influencing and, and basically we're social social creatures. That's what gives us a lot of pleasure. Tony has more D in her profile and I tend to have more of that S and C. She's not a checklist type girl and I am uh, you know, very much a kind of cover the details type of guy. We kind of balance each other out nicely in that way. Usually people are attracted to people like them. So you don't, with spouses especially, you don't always have that complementary skill set, which can be a challenge. In our early days, we, we decided pretty early on that she was going to be our listing specialist and that I was going to focus with buyers before we brought on other members of our team who now handle those responsibilities under my supervision. Yet we just felt that that aligned more naturally, even though I'd worked both sides of the business quite a bit, as had she, and both of us had had you know, significant success on either side. It just came back to, okay, how can we row in the same direction and move forward as fast as possible, cover as much ground and do it in a way that is efficient, productive, and we still can come home and be great friends and, and, and spouses at the end of the day. Let's do that. Let's go back to those early days where you first started working with each other and tell us how you did split up the duties. You, you mentioned that Tony was 
going after listings and you were working with buyers, when it was just the two of you, did you then each track those transactions all the way to close? So you were kind of working together, but independently, you were working with buyers, she was working with sellers. Because a lot of people, what they'll do is one will work on the sell side and one will work on the admin side, but it sounds like you were splitting it per what type of client they were. Yeah, we'll have to add a little more context to our story there. So we started in real estate in North Carolina. And like I said, I had followed Tony's lead into the business. At that point, she was a top five agent in our board. I mean, she was on billboards around town. It was very well established, had new construction accounts. She had had a first administrative assistant and then a second, not not at the same time. Um, so we just you know helped her find the right fit in that role. And then when I got into the business, oddly enough, for whatever reason, we decided to keep it separate in our first iteration of our husband-wife model. So we ran sort of adjacent books of business. I worked with a different builder. I worked with buyers and sellers. I had my own assistant. So even though our offices were next to each other, and of course we collaborated and covered, you know, picked up each other's slack wherever needed, really treated it like two separate businesses. We did that for, oh, two or three years. Um, And in the last year in that model, I think we sold 92 homes together between me, her, and our two assistants. And then we moved to Florida. We, you know, we joined Keller Williams and, and we decided that it was, we weren't building on our success. We were, you know, we were having success, but it was every year, January, that income clock and that transaction count go back to zero. And we weren't finding that we were building on our previous year's success in a way that would allow it to get it easier and more productive and, and more efficient. And that's what we were looking to do. And so that's when we really dove deeper into the um, behavioral profiles and you know that team building model and um, and decided to define our roles more clearly. So to, to answer your question specifically, we said, okay, Tony, you're listing agent, I'm the buyer specialist. And um, in our first six months in Florida, we didn't have an administrative assistant. So to answer your question, it was pretty much her running the file start to finish and me doing the same on my end. Within about six months of being here, we were at the point where it made sense to make that first Florida-based admin hire and you know, that person became more of the marketing and, and transaction coordinator, enabling us to work with, with the client specifically. While in Florida, how long did you run where you were working with buyers and Tony was working with uh, the sellers? Well, she still is our lead listing specialist. So we've been here about five years now. I worked with buyers exclusively, oh, I'd say for the first year and a half. And then um, we started experimenting with the buyer specialist model and brought on our first round of buyer's agents. I believe we brought in two at the same time. Now, keep in mind, we had two admin on the team at this point, a, a dedicated listing slash marketing coordinator and then a transaction coordinator. And the idea was that each, each person in the production role would focus on their niche and you know, do that at a really high level. Um, we're currently on, I would call it our third to fourth Iteration is kind of the way I think about it in terms of, you know, when you bring someone on in a new role, something you haven't done before, it's such a learning experience and you always figure out, you know, the next time you're going to do that, what you'd be looking for, what you do differently, how you would set expectations differently, how you would train differently, how you would hold accountable. Um, so we've got a phenomenal group right now, which is, you know, quite larger than, than it was back then. Yet it's been, you know, an iterative process of having some, some of the wrong people come and go and, and bringing on some of the right people and then being really, really clear on what the right people look like and and how we all fit together. And your role in the team has changed. What is your role today? So today my title is a CEO and, and, you know, the evolution was, you know, direct production and then one step removed from production and overseeing a team of buyer specialists. And then to the point where now I still do basically kind of wear that director of sales hat, um, even with, even with Tony and the, you know, challenges and fires that pop up from time to time on the listing side and, and then work with our, with our buy, buying specialist agents. Um, you know, they come to me with whatever questions or negotiating issues or inspection problems or, you know, difficult conversations that need to be had. And we, we coach through those. And then I also oversee all of our operations staff. And so in this past year, we've been able to bring on some really high-level talent into our, our organization with the goal of uh, moving some initiatives forward that we're really excited about taking this to, to a new level. So my, my day-to-day role as, as CEO is just making sure that everyone in our group is you know, clear on what their objectives are, has the tools and resources and training and coaching to be able to accomplish those. 
we're going to come back to your role that you're doing today. But before we do, I, I do want to go back into the past for a minute and ask a question. When you started up initially, I guess back in North Carolina, you said you ran two separate organizations. You and Tony were independent of each other. Why did you do it that way rather than throwing in at the beginning? There had to be a reason that you all wanted to run it independent of each other initially. Yeah, I think it was a couple of things. I mean, one, is we didn't really know another way. You know, you do the best you can with what you know and until you know differently. Um, that's, you know, when you know better, you do better. So part of it was we just didn't really know another way. And the other piece was just out of the practical nature that Tony had been, had a couple of year head start in her book of business and had some very established relationships. And especially with a builder, he was a lot of new construction sales in that community. And that was just a very entrenched relationship. And it just seemed to make sense for, for me to kind of take a different approach. And actually another, another piece to that was that there was, uh, you know, some other potential builder relationships that were potentially available. And we also didn't want to muddy the waters and, um, make anyone feel uncomfortable in terms of, you know, Tony's very well-established relationships that we were rocking that boat too much. So it just strategically made sense to, to keep that a bit separate. Well, let's step back for a minute and, uh, and tell everybody, how long have you been in the business now? So I count my clock when Tony got in. So that's 10 years. Uh, technically, I've been licensed two fewer years, two less, two fewer years than, than she has. Yet, you know, I consider myself having been Involved behind the scenes with her, you know, as a, as a coach, partner, confidant, collaborator from the beginning. So that's how I start my clock. I put it at 10 years. And how many homes did you sell last year? And what was the sales volume? Uh, so in, let's see, 2017, we did 110 units for about $32 million in volume. Very good. And how about your best year. What was the best year? What year was that? How many homes did you sell? And what was the volume? Great. So the year before that, uh, 2016, uh, which was our third year in Florida, hit that benchmark at 118 units for around 36 million in volume. This year, we're on pace to have our best year ever. Um, We'll come in at around 150 units and somewhere in $45 million range. Uh, Very good. Well, let's talk about there was a little bit of a dip there between 2016 and 2017. What happened there? Why did that happen? Huge transition in our business. We were part of a, uh, a Keller Williams brokerage in one location in our, in our market. And an opportunity came up to actually invest in opening up the newest Keller Williams franchise in our community. And we were able to align with some really exciting leadership individuals within the company and the opportunity to stretch outside of our comfort zone and tackle this new endeavor um, was just something too great to pass up. So it was quite a year of transition on that side. You know, half of my focus got pulled away into all of the activities that it takes to launch, first of all, to get approval for a new, a new franchise and to launch that. And then just the logistics of finding that brokerage office space. And we ended up leasing a, a 7,400 square foot shell space and had to work with a designer and a construction company and go through all the iterations of the floor plan for the entire office and including designing our team's suite and all of those pieces. So it just took a lot of bandwidth to really get that initiative up and running. At the same time, we went through a, a high amount of transition on our team. I remember coming back from one of our national conferences in the beginning of 2017. And the major focus from some of the top people in our company at that conference was just about identifying talent, being clear on who you're looking for and what that looks like and how they fit within your team and the team culture. And it was my big aha coming back from that conference is we've got, I personally as a leader have a major opportunity there. And as it turned out, as soon as I got back, we had one individual, you know, say they were ready to go and you know, launch their own real estate thing. And then we had one of our admin people shortly thereafter leave for some medical and personal reasons. And then later in the year, we had another agent that didn't work out. And then a few months later, our original administrative hire, who had been a key part of our, uh, of our organization's growth over our first three years in Florida, left our group as well, which was kind of quite a blow. So from start to finish, you know, there were only a, a small handful of people in our group in 2017 that had been part of it the year before. So, uh, you know, we felt like, gosh, to come in, because <laughs> I do, I get down on myself, I get hard on myself. And 
every year in Florida, we had double, we literally doubled our business, 30 units, 60 units, 118. And then to take our first, you know, small step backward in terms of just those numbers in, in 2017 was, you know, was, was tough for me to swallow. And through my consultating with our coaches and people I respect a lot in the business, I have to remind myself that, you know, we launched the market center, right? We invested in opening this new organization, which is going to make a huge impact on on agents and, and clients in our community. And we went through a major, you know, transition in terms of the culture and makeup of our, our sales organization. And we're all, all the better because of it. It wasn't fun or anything I'd love to choose to go through. And yet we're absolutely night and day, a different organization in terms of culture and team identity and fit. And so technically it was a, a few units step back and what's clearly showing up in our numbers this year is that we're back on our growth trajectory. And here we go. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you for describing that. A question I have, you said you're on track to close 150 this year. As you mentioned, you're, you're growing. You've staffed up to make that happen, is my understanding. Yeah, I think you have around 20 people on the team now. But last year and the year before, when you were selling around 110, 120, how many people were on the team then, just so we can compare with those uh, production numbers? Yeah, the 20 is a little misleading, and I'll explain that in a moment. Because when I was thinking about this prior to our, our conversation today, it was really only about six of those individuals who were with us throughout last year, making up the efforts that led to those 110 units last year. We, what we've done is a big shift in our thinking as our organization is we've shifted from being a you know, husband and wife sales producing organization with some great support people to a organization that provides a platform for our partners, our agent partners and our operations partners to achieve their, you know, highest levels of financial and, and career ambitions and, and do so in a culture that makes sure that they are able to have fun every day and meet their financial goals and help people and grow as, a, as an individual. So it's really been a shift. And this is where you've seen our teaching DNA come out, you know, so we've developed a junior partner program, for example where we have people who are new to the industry coming in and working through a 12-week almost basic training or boot camp, if you will, where they're learning the lead generation habits, they're learning scripts, they're learning the technical skills needed to be successful in the business. And at the same time, we're really watching them closely to see the level of grit that they exemplify. And can they come back in day after day and go through the grind that we know it's going to require for them to be successful in this field? So you mentioned 20, you know, four or five of those are our our junior partners who are not in production roles yet. They're mainly in their training piece. Um, and then we have five agent partners who are what we had previously referred to as buyer specialists. And we've created an agent career growth plan for them where they have the ability to progress into a senior partner role where they can work the listing side and the buyer side of the business, which was a new development for us. And so the goal then is to create the opportunities for our teammates where they can go and work whichever side of the business is the best fit for them without feeling restricted to one, one piece or the other. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. David, I think this is really interesting. You mentioned that you're building a platform as opposed to a sales organization centered around you and Tony. You're creating a platform where other salespeople can excel. And there had to have been a reason for that. My guess is that you see a bigger future. You can do a lot more production if you have a platform. Uh, versus the limitation of just you and Tony selling. Is that the concept? Yeah, that's certainly a piece of it. You know, you, you do this business for long enough, and I think everyone gets to a certain point where you just lose a little bit of that gusto for dealing with those same situations over and over and over. And so that, that's not the primary motivator. Yet. That's absolutely a factor. And I go back to my days when I was teaching, and I, I just felt every summer vacation coming back, I had slightly less enthusiasm for the new school year. And, you know, it requires a lot to, uh, you know, to kick off a new school year with a new group of students and 
give them the attention and, and, and love and energy and commitment that certainly they deserve. And so that was a warning sign for me when I was in that role, that, gosh, this probably isn't going to be a 30-year career. This is something I absolutely wanted to do and accomplish and feel like I made an impact, and yet it wasn't end-all, be-all of my growth journey. And that's kind of, you know, again, sticking with that school analogy, our real estate business in the sales production side is very transactional, right? We have a relationship with a client. It typically lasts anywhere from one to six months, depending on the circumstances. And best case scenario, it ends really, really well. And they're really happy and it feels great. And we know that we made a huge impact in their, their progression, whether they were buying or selling and enabled them to move on to you know, the next chapter in their lives. So that's incredibly fulfilling. And yet I do, I liken it back to the last day of school as a teacher and the last day of school, you know, you, you've been building up for it. You've been excited. And, and everyone's happy about it. And then the next day, there's just a little bit of a letdown where you go, gosh, you know, I'm going to miss some of those kids. <laughs> and you kind of miss that continued connection. And that's, that's a challenge in our industry is, you know, they, they go away after a month or six months. And certainly we want to keep in relationship and communicate with them. But the, the depth of relationship just isn't quite there. And so a big part of this for us was about our journey of, of growth as leaders and then just the personal fulfillment, you know, that you only get a certain level of that from you know, a transactional client. Whereas when we can build a depth of relationship with our partners in our organization and know what makes them tick and know what's important to them in their life, and then be able to, like you said, create this platform that enables them to achieve those goals. And said one of our agents yesterday was saying, you know, she's gone on three or four international trips this year. And she was saying that she was giving gratitude toward our, our group and her decision to join us a year and a half ago. And that basically enabled her to have the resources to do this and live this life that she's enjoying so much. And so that to us is in that relationship that doesn't go away and doesn't have a last day of school or a closing date is just incredibly, incredibly fulfilling. And so then the idea of, gosh, what if we could impact 15 people like that? What if we could impact 20? What if we could impact 100? Um, and then through that, through impacting our teammates and our organization, there's the, the effect of making even more ripples in our community through the clients that we all touch. And so that's what gets us really excited to get up in the morning and come in and figure out these tough problems of scaling and growing and making a difference. So you are the CEO. I assume one of your responsibilities is the vision of the business, not only where it is today, but where you want to take it in the future. What is the big end goal picture in your mind? How far out and what does it look like that you would build this, this team or this organization up to? Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. You know, we, we, we're constantly reminded that our vision needs to be big enough and we need to be comfortable letting it grow as big as it needs to be so that all of our partners' visions can fit within it, right? In the perfect world, we'd all be able to accomplish our goals together. So our right now, long-term goal is this idea of 500 transactions. We want to be an organization that is big enough and impactful enough to help 500 families within a year buy or sell their real estate. And our mission as we speak to every single week and every single transaction is moving families forward because we feel that the real estate transaction, anytime there's a sign in the yard, that represents someone who is in some way or another effectively stuck, right? They have a goal to do something different and there's an obstacle in the way, which is this real estate transaction. And when we can either help them market and sell that home or bring a buyer you know, to solve that problem, we're effectively enabling two families to move forward and get out of this stuck position and either move to a new location or upsize or downsize or move their financial investments or whatever the reasons behind it, we're helping them get past that obstacle. And that's something we're really, really passionate about. So this idea of moving families forward is, is the why behind what we do. And, you know, this, our vision is to be a, an organization that the number one in our marketplace, um, we, we know very confidently that that 500 unit mark will put us there. And, you know, with the group wholeheartedly committed to accomplishing that mission and putting our clients first, uh, we're going to make that happen. How did you pick the 500 number? <laughs> it just felt big enough and candidly slightly scary enough <laughs> that we knew it was something we could push for and, and tangible enough. I mean, we wanted to stretch our thinking and challenge ourselves, right? We know we're, we've been talking about, hey, this is our third year in a row that we'll have broken the 100 unit mark. And so then the next, in my brain, the next logical progression was we need to break 200 units. And yet I was in a, a training, I was speaking to one of my um, 
one of my partners in a business, our chief growth officer, who's responsible for finding and bringing in new talent into our organization. And, um, you know, we just kind of had this epiphany. I was like, we're, we're not thinking big enough and we're not talking big enough. You know, and if we make 200 the next mark, you know, that, that's, just, that's just not enough. We need to be talking about 500. And so that's, that was just the next. And then I had a meeting with another team owner who's talking to his team about 1,000, and that made me question myself. And yet we're, we're pretty excited about hitting that, hitting that benchmark and, and then pushing it up from there. Um, so it was, just, it was just enough of a stretch and a push that challenges pretty much everything we do. Like right, nothing that you do at 150 units is going to work when you're at 500. So that was the idea. How can we think bigger and improve our systems and make sure that we're operating at the highest level and, and using that benchmark as the test. When is the deadline for hitting the 500? Well, I'd love to say we're going to make it happen in 2019. We have a lot of ramp up to do with our group to get there. And uh, so I'm going to make a firm commitment that 2020 is the year, if not before, and then that'll happen. And now I'm putting it out there to the universe. What would the team need to look like in order for you to achieve the 500 units? Well, that's where the, the fun part comes in because it depends on, you know, the, how, how much of the pie our partners want to grab, right? So, you know, 10 agents doing 50 units or 20 agents doing 25 units each. I mean, certainly we would expect that anyone in our organization full-time is going to do a minimum of 20 to 25, so, so certainly should be more than that. So then the answer is probably going to be somewhere in between, around 15, 15 highly productive, highly skilled, dynamic individuals helping, you know, 30 families a year. Didn't check my math on that, so hopefully that adds up. Um, you know, that'll get us there. And, of course, with the, with the uh, incredible operations and leadership and support team in place to make sure that those agent partners are doing their absolute most highest productive activities that are earning them the most money in the, in the most efficient way so that they can allow our clients with service that the other, you know, competitors in our market can't offer because they're carrying too much of, of the burden of the, the rest of the pieces. Now, you mentioned the word agent partners. You, you've changed your model so that the agents on the team can list and sell. They can work with sellers and buyers. Why did you do that? And what results have you seen from it? So it's, a, it's still a newer shift for us. Um, we had an individual leave our organization and it was Looking back, it was the right thing. I don't think it was the right long-term fit yet. I, I'm also clear on my, my DNA in that um, parting of ways was that she had been asking very candidly for a track to develop into a listing agent. And at the time, we just didn't have the need per se. And so I sort of kicked the can down the road a few too many times. And ultimately, she got the message that that wasn't going to happen in the near future and decided you know, she wanted to go do something else. And so that was quite a, you know, I did a lot of reflecting on that. And, and then another piece is just not wanting to feel like they're stuck in a box per se. Um, you know, there's a lot of, I still do subscribe to the theory that people are most generally suited to one skill set or the other, right? Being a buyer specialist or a listing specialist, they're very different skill sets. Now there's some things that translate and there's a lot of people who can do both. It's just because you can do two different things doesn't mean you're not better suited to thrive if you've put your full focus in one versus the other. So I still do subscribe to that theory, and yet we wanted to provide a clearly defined career growth track to allow our agents who did feel, as this other person did, motivated and inspired to, to grow and push themselves to accomplish something new. And so we just spelled it out. We said, you know, when you have accomplished this and demonstrated this, you earn the right. You earn the designation to take listings. And got two of our agent partners who are on the verge of being promoted to senior partners, which is that position where they can then work any piece of real estate transaction on any, any side. And so that opens up a lot of doors if they're working with a buyer who's got a list and then, and then buy, and then they get the opportunity to you know, work, work multiple pieces there. And I just think it's uh, even there, and there may be people who earn that designation and then don't end up listing a whole lot. And actually, I think that was great in the sense of, you know, if they're clear that they really do prefer working, for example, with buyers and, and, and they can focus their resources and, and energies and attention on being the absolute best buyer representative that they can possibly be. I think that's fantastic. It's great for the consumer or client first and foremost, and it's great for our group. And yeah, I just still think there's something psychologically 
better about not feeling limited and knowing that at any point they have the opportunity to, you know, take advantage of a listing situation. Now, David, you're in the role of the CEO. There's not a lot of people in that role in our industry with a team of the size that you're at now and the growth projections you're having and so forth. So could you walk us through what your ideal daily schedule looks like or your ideal schedule over a week? What are you actually doing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so uh, we're talking ideal, not not what actually happens. <laughs> obviously, very, very quite a bit. I mean, my, my goal is to, um, alongside with the team, be focused in the mornings, which is our lead generation time block on you know, new business acquisition. And, and as opposed to you know, some of our direct prospecting efforts and things like that, I prefer to be focusing on, you know, channel type relationships where we can earn the opportunity to work with multiple clients over a period of time from, from those types of efforts. So that's where I'm thinking of, okay, where can I add value and how can I create new relationships and connect dots for our group to continue to pour opportunities into our team that then our agent partners can see through to the finish line. So that's generally the morning goal. We do a lot of focus on systems and operations. Um, so we have two full-time people on the operations team and then another full-time gentleman who, like I said, is our chief growth officer. So we do a lot of meetings with them. Obviously, check in with all of my direct reports once a week for their weekly you know, objectives and goals check-in and making sure they have what they need. Um, and then I'm also involved in training our junior partners. So, that the new, so I spend at least an hour a day in direct training with the new agents on our team, um, helping them learn the nuances. And as I'm doing that, we're also bringing in our operations team to help document and systematize that training process so that it is more scalable as we grow. And then as we have new cohorts of junior partners coming on, it won't always be me directly one-on-one with them. Yet as this is a newer program for us, I've got quite a role in ramping up and developing out the training program, which really feels fantastic and allows me to still, it's that uh, that teaching bug that, that's certainly within my DNA. Um, outside of that, there, there's definitely a, a lot of the, all the financial component, you know, handling the P&Ls and looking at expenses and managing cash flow. And then, uh, of course, any, any of the sales, like director of sales, I wear that hat. And uh, those, those days, there can be days where, you know, it's going to be joke. We need to get one of those deli sort of take a number things um, because we can sometimes have a line of folks having a, a hot button question or a fire popped up all of a sudden. So there can be a lot of juggling that goes on with that. Who are your direct reports? So we've got our two full-time operations. We, we call those account managers who work the basically what you would call the transaction coordination and the listing management side. So both of them, at some point, we will have promoted a, a director of operations, and that person will oversee the operations side and, and report specifically to me. Right now, I, I meet with both of them. Our chief growth officer, who's um, engaged in recruiting and onboarding of agent partner talent, whether they're at the experience level and they come in as agent partners or they're newer to the business or making a transition and they're coming in in a junior partner role. We have another um, operations person who who really been working with to develop an ancillary business, which is a staging company, finding that we needed that service for our listings and we were underwhelmed with that we were you know contracting out to third-party vendors. And so we, we saw a need and an opportunity to fill that gap and provide a better and more affordable service to our clients. And so she's been able to pursue a passion of hers, which is building out this, this staging program. And so we check in with her on a regular basis. And then our newest addition is a digital media producer, um, someone who's charged with our web presence and our video content and making sure we're doing the best job we possibly can of telling our story. And he's just getting ramped up in his new role and so I'm closely involved with his development there. And then, of course, my gorgeous wife, Tony, is our listing specialist. And, you know, our listings aren't without their challenges. And we're thinking and talking a lot about the listing process and how we can continue to improve it and plus client experience and build in efficiencies and systems wherever possible. So that's pretty much the group that, uh, that I'm speaking directly with. You mentioned channel relationships. What is that? So basically this concept of so I'll give you an example. There's a, there's a large company in town that um, recruits employee candidates from all over the country, and they bring people in to interview. And when they're doing that, they're talking about a relocation. And so not only are they interviewing the company to see if it's fit for their professional needs, 
they're also basically trying to determine if you know they could see themselves and their families moving to Sarasota, Florida. And so one of the value propositions that we're able to provide to you know HR departments to these companies is look, let's let us take selling the community out of the equation. You guys focus on selling your company and your your opportunity, and we'll be the concierge service that can answer any of their questions about community. And some of the feedback that they were getting was that they weren't, uh, their, their candidates who were coming in were feeling like great and well taken care of when they were in the building and sort of left kind of flat in the wind, so to speak, to figure out what's going on in this community and could they see their family here. So we identified a need to solve that and have worked out a, a great partnership where they give us a call and they have someone coming into town and our role is just to make sure that person has a great experience. They might, they might buy, they might not, they might not get the job. Yet the goal is to build that relationship with the company so they know we make their candidate experience better overall, which in, improve their opportunity to make the hire. And, uh, and then they'll keep calling us. So that's just an example of what we call a channel relationship where you have the opportunity to continue to receive leads from a company or organization based on the value that you add. Are you responsible for bringing new people into your organization? I think you said identifying talent. Um, I primarily was for more of the five years. In this last year, um, we had an incredible opportunity to partner with a gentleman who had been in the leadership group within our Keller Williams company and uh, was looking to try something a little bit different. And so we brought him in as our chief growth officer. And so now he's primarily taking up those responsibilities because it's absolutely a gift of his to be able to identify and connect with other talented individuals. And so several of our, well, I'd say a good half of our current group are people that he has identified and brought into our organization. So that's just another benefit of, you know, to grow this thing and scale this thing, we're able to create opportunities, which then create additional opportunities for others. Now you're currently managing quite a few people, uh, these direct reports, and then they have people underneath them. How are you keeping accountability with these people? How are you keeping them all on track? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And it's something we're always asking ourselves is there, are we doing this at the highest level? Certainly always room for improvement there. I mean, basically our structure is we have a weekly all hands on deck meeting every Monday. We have a morning huddle to kick off our day with all of our agent partners on the sales side every day of the week. And then I have an individual meeting once a week with each of my direct reports to go over what we call their 411, which is just a goal setting and objective clarifying document that we use just to keep everything clear and on one sheet of what their biggest, most important objectives are and the specific action items needed to take to move the ball forward in each of those, each of those categories. In addition to that, we have a coaching program for our sales group where we've got an internal coach in our organization who checks in with each of our agent partners once a week and holds them accountable to the goals that they're setting. And then we're also teaching our agent partners to coach so that they're working with our junior partners so that everyone is kind of wearing this player coach hat. Again, going back to my teaching DNA, we know that being able to teach something or requiring of yourself to teach something requires you to learn it at the highest level. And so by having them stretch themselves and flex this coaching muscle for the agents who are less experienced than them, we know that's actually going to raise their game uh, and just make it a win-win situation all the way around. So we have a lot of programs built in to help make sure everyone has what they need and knows what they need to focus on and, and have, have that accountability piece connected as well. Well, David, we've got a pretty good idea now of the operation and, then, and what it looks like. A uh, question agents are going to be having is, are you profitable? <laughs> yeah. So that's, that is the key question, right? Um, we are. We have chosen to reinvest a lot of earnings in this, this growth trajectory. Like I told you, we had you know, six people effectively from the current group that were part of us, our organization last year, closing you know, $32 million in volume. And so we ran pretty close to the, the team profitability model standard, which is in that 30 to 35% range of profitability. Um, this year, we'll, you know, we've grown quite a bit and added a lot of of overhead to that. So by design, we'll pretty much maintain that possibly a slight dip below it, knowing that we're building the infrastructure strategically to, to take in much bigger volume over the coming years. So I've always been, you know, there's two schools of thought in, in growing and building and 
you can kind of do it slightly earlier or, or slightly late. And I've always just aired on the slightly early side and that might be right or might be wrong. Um, it's just, I've, I get really excited about this idea of building something and, and we have to be careful not to build it too far ahead of where we are and, and make sure that our, our production merits, you know, the size that we're at. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite comfortable. And, um, and again, we know that we're, we're playing the long game here and building something that's going to be greater than anything we could have accomplished with Tony and I just being producers and selling real estate with some help. Certainly we could net more dollars in our pocket this year doing that. And yet, Dollars in the pocket at the end of the day is not the ultimate number one goal. The goal is to build this organization and impact people's lives and to provide the platform for our team. And we're, we're comfortable with the results financially, and we know that the best is in front of us. Well, David, what drives you? Yeah, so pretty much uh, what we just covered is this idea of making an impact, right? Um, Tony and I have a family. We've got two young young children, and this leadership journey has been gosh, one of the you know, most challenging and, and just significant opportunities to stretch myself and get way outside of my comfort zone day in and day out. And I know that that's making a huge impact on our family personally because of the, the husband and the father that I'm able to grow into through that. And then, so that's where it starts for me. The impact starts at, at home with our family and then builds over into our agent partners. And like the story I gave you of the agent who was able to fulfill her her travel goals this year in a way that she couldn't do before, you know, before we were partnered. And so she makes us better and we make her better. And that's really what, what drives me is, you know, those kinds of stories, making an impact, moving families forward. And uh, that starts, you know, that's including ours, including our agent partners, including our clients. David, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Well, this idea of working to learn before you work to earn. And it's such a challenge, right? I've I've been there. We've transitioned from a teacher salary to real estate. I certainly understand the pressure that comes along when, you know, you feel like you've got to get that deal together and then close it, or you can't pay your bills this month. The challenge with that pressure is that it creates a potential to cut corners and take shortcuts and just get to the fastest path to revenue, which isn't necessarily the same path that lines up to the, the maximum long-term growth potential for your, your income and your career. So I'd encourage anyone to really think about how they can save up you know, reserve fund of, of ideally six months, 12 if they could, and then you know, go and find, you know, do their research and find where they're going to have the best learning opportunity, knowing that that learning foundation will create the earning. If they have to overcome the, the challenge to be short-sighted on the dollars and think about the long game. Well, David, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Oh, gosh, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I mean, we've, we're constantly reminded how many shortcomings we have and how many opportunities there are for us to improve in basically every aspect of our business. And, and we're reminded that by speaking to you know, the people that we see around us and agent teams and groups that are doing just far, far, far more business than us. And it keeps us humble. And I think it's, it's really important that everybody um, remembers that there's always someone that's done a lot more and made a lot more mistakes and had a lot more successes. And if we can put our egos aside a bit and learn from each other and hopefully save ourselves some of those painful or expensive or embarrassing false steps, uh, that's that smoothed out the process quite a bit. So yes, I think masterminding and learning from others who have done some things that we haven't done yet is is incredibly helpful. Well, David, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? Um, I think the thing that that drives us and that resonates through our organization and I hope people take away from this is real estate is is an incredibly powerful vehicle for for impact, right? And I, people can get really interested in the dollars impact part of it. And I certainly appreciate and understand that. And yet I hope, uh, especially for the people who are just getting in, that they'll appreciate the great responsibility that comes with this role that we have of guiding you know, our, our consumer clients through the most significant financial transaction of their lives. And you know, the industry has got a lot of changes coming up. And I think the thing that's going to keep us in a good position um, able to determine our own destiny 
is if we, as long as we keep that in mind and, and make decisions on what's best for, you know, our individual consumers, our clients, and helping them navigate their way through the complexities of, of this transaction and remembering always that it's a gift and an honor and a privilege to be able to serve them and serve others and serve the people in our, our teams and our organizations. And, you know, by putting others first, we'll, we'll come out on top. Well, David, you and Tony have set a big, huge goal of helping 500 families per year. And the deadline to multiply your business fivefold is just two years away. That's rapid growth. To reach this goal, you've rallied a team of ambitious agent partners and built a platform for them to run on, including a career path with mile markers and titles. You're taking action and pursuing your dreams. I expect exciting results in the near future. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 809 homes last year worth $169 million. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.